The fan is ready for Brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. Six, four, Welcome into another episode of the 643 Podcast with yours truly, Dylan Short, brought to you by 680 The Fan and the Dickey Broadcasting Corporation. You can find the 643 Podcast as well as the podcast for all of your other favorite 680 hosts at the Podcast Park where they are all housed or on your favorite podcasting platform. If you're an iTunes guy or an Amazon Music guy or whatever, you can find the podcast on there as well. But go to thepodcastpark.com, subscribe to your favorite shows, and follow along with all of your favorite 680 hosts day in and day out as the fan is giving you all the coverage you could possibly ask for so you can fan the way you ought to. So it's a good day. To be a Braves fan today, the Braves, while they're still two and a half games back of the division lead, the Met, the 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 Reds kind of fell through and, and haven't helped the Braves out very much. That's not a bad news. That's not bad news for the Braves. It's bad news for the Mets, though, as they are now into the thick of a very easy portion of their schedule. And while the excuse for the Braves making their big run up was, oh well, they're playing bad teams. Well, the Mets are playing bad teams, and yet they can't pick up any games at all because, as Frank the Tank so eloquently put it, the Braves don't lose. In the last few games since July started, the Mets have played the Rangers for three, the Reds for three, and now they're playing the Marlins for, I want to say, I want to get this right, they're playing the Marlins for three before that series against the Braves begins on the 11th. Likewise, the Braves, while everybody complained about how easy June was, July not much tougher for them. The Braves, since July has started, played the Reds for three, the Cardinals for three, game four will be tonight, then they get three against the Nationals before that setup against the Mets. So, for the Braves, they've actually picked up a game in the standings. While the Mets have only lost two games to start July, it hasn't mattered because the Braves have only lost one. And even that one loss, game three against the Reds, that was one that the Braves, you felt, should have won. And you had a kind of a meltdown from Colin McHugh and a meltdown from A.J. Minter. No harm, no foul. It's sitting at two and a half games. I believe the Mets right now are beating the Marlins. Uh, actually, they haven't started. 7-10. Uh, 7-10 first pitch for that. It'll be Daniel Castano versus... Uh, Trevor Williams for the Mets. So for the Braves, just keep doing what you're doing. It's going to be a fun night. The Braves going for a sweep, which generally generally makes me think that I would probably expect a loss. Uh, but the Braves also haven't done a great job winning three consecutive games this year. They do so last night, winning three to nothing behind Max Fried. And that's only the second time this season the Braves have won three consecutive games. And they put them up 3-0 on St. Louis, looking for a sweep today behind Spencer Strider, as we get a really good matchup of really young guys. I'll talk about that later, because the young arm throwing for St. Louis is a really, really talented arm in his own right. 
but I want to talk about Max. So this was another example of Max Freed uh, showing his style and, and how good he is. While I, I certainly say Max Freed is an ace, I think he's a top 10 pitcher in baseball. And honestly, right now, he's the second most valuable pitcher in baseball behind only Kevin Gosman if you go by war. If you don't want to go by war, then you can easily say that he's the best lefty in baseball. Uh, he and Carlos Rodon could probably be the two that you would that you would talk about in that sentence but what separates Max Freed from some of these other aces and I mentioned this I can't remember if I mentioned this on Saturday for the 643 or if I said it on our special 4th of July edition of 643 is it starting to thunder at my house and one of my dogs has decided that means that he gets to talk and join the show uh, for those of you that have followed along with me for years you know Gucci is essentially uh, like a part-time co-host of the show um one thing that separates Max from the other aces in the league, and it's on, on the plus side and the minus side, one of the reasons why I think Max is kind of underrated. One, he doesn't have the strikeouts that a lot of your other aces around baseball get. He's not a guy that's going to come out there and strike out 13 in an outing. He'll, he's, he's struck out double digits a couple times in his career, but typically he's around one an inning, slightly below one per inning. And it doesn't really matter. His stuff is so good that he generates really weak contact, and that allows him to go deeper into games. Because Max is a little bit of a unicorn in that regard, and that he essentially gets a quality start every time he goes out there. When Max Freed takes the hill, you essentially know that you're getting six or seven innings pretty easily. That it's going to be pretty weak contact against him. He might give up some blue pits here and there. He gets babbipped a fair bit. I think part of that is just because when you don't give up a lot of hard contact, you're going to give up hits at some point. And the ones that you do give up will be ones that we'll look at and say, oh, that shouldn't have been a hit. Unfortunately, that's just kind of the way it rolls. Um, and in that regard, Max doesn't always have his best stuff. It seems like Max has his his B plus, his B, maybe A minus stuff more often than the other true aces in baseball uh, who, who typically are going to have their A to A plus stuff a few more times than Max. The difference is Max is so good at everything about the game. He's such a good pitcher that he doesn't have to have his best stuff in order to have a quality outing. And that's what you see when you look at Max Freed and you look at his lines and you look at him over the course of this season is you don't see a lot of instances of him just being full on dominant of just nobody can touch anything he has, that he just goes out there and other teams are just praying to get to the bullpen. Now, you don't see that all the time from him. You'll see a few. Uh, and, and when you see it, you look at it and you go, my lord, this, this guy's just different. But when you go into his game scores, it kind of illustrates it. He's got two games this year where he's had an 85 game score. Outside of that, he's had another three where he's been above 70. And then outside of that, you've got a whole bunch of 60s and a few 50s and only one two below 50 those are also i believe the only two starts this season where he has not uh, logged a quality start i think outside of that he's logged a quality start in every single outing he's had which is just another just incredible run for him it's not something that you typically see uh but that's what max is and that's one of the things that makes him so good just this is his lines for the season. Just his innings pitch, starting all the way on opening day. Five and two thirds, five and a third, seven, six, six, seven, six, 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 eight, six, five and two thirds, seven, six and two thirds, seven and six. And last night you had you saw Max get pulled at eighty-two pitches. A lot of people wondering uh, what was the impetus behind that. He he wasn't in a lot of trouble. 
Uh, it was was setting up to be a, yet another one where he would have gone over 70 for his game score. Probably would have been very similar to his last outing, which ended up at a 72. Uh, he didn't allow any runs. Uh, striking out, had four strikeouts, one walk, five hits against him. Um, before I found out what the reasoning was, I had said that I actually didn't mind that at all. Uh, Max had pitched well enough, but he didn't have his best stuff. So there were some... Some, some some more, I don't want to say stressful, because he wasn't really allowing much. Not, I don't think much is, is stressful for Max. But it wasn't the cleanest outing from him. It wasn't the best of his command. And it was really, really humid, really hot and humid yesterday. And, you know, Max has been racking up some innings. And I think whenever you can get a guy a little bit of extra rest in the dog days of summer, when everything is going really well, when the Braves had already secured at absolute worst a series split, if you had just told me that Max was feeling perfectly fine, instead of just decided that, hey, I'm going to give him just just an inning off. Because he was at 82 pitches, so if he goes one more inning, he's probably closing in 95 to 100 pitches. And I think at that point, we'd have, we'd have been okay pulling him anyway. So it would have been fine. Just tell me for, for one extra inning. Yeah, just give him a little bit of extra rest here and going forward. Turns out that Max's glute was tightening up on him in the fifth inning. He went out in the sixth, and it tightened up on him again. And they just decided to be precautionary with it, which is obviously the right call. Um, the area that was a little bit trickier, at least for me, after that was, was the relievers that you brought in after Max. That was kind of playing with fire a little bit. But... Darren O'Day went out and did a good job, and he's, for the most part, he's been pretty reliable this year. Uh, it was, and actually went with Darren O'Day and Jesse Chavez. Now, Chavez at some point is going to regress to the means of his numbers, and we saw this with Chavez last year as well. There's a point where Chavez strikes out everybody, and he's throwing tons of strikes, and he gets everything by hitters when he's throwing 89, 90, 91, and then there comes a point in time where, where the mirage is kind of lifted, and then he starts getting hit around. And you saw yesterday, he allowed one hit, two walks. Got to the bases loaded. Did have two strikeouts. But you can just kind of tell when you look at his stat cast page, the whip is trending upwards for him. Uh, but you, you want to get what you can out of him before that bubble kind of bursts. Because it will burst. Jesse Chavez is not the guy you traditionally want to be throwing in high leverage innings. Neither is Darren O'Day, for that matter. You have enough other guys that should be more than willing of doing that. But when you look at Jesse Chavez, fifth percentile on average exit velocity, first percentile on hard hit, he gets hit really hard. 17th in ex-Waba, 17th in ex-ERA, 8th in, ex in expected batting average, 18th in expected slugging, 11th in barrel percentage. Now he's 79th in K percentage and 58th in walk percentage. He's done well there. 53rd in whiff percentage. That's right around average. 43rd in chase rate, 7th in fastball velocity, 27th in spin. So you can see from these numbers, he's not a guy that you want to overexpose. Now, Snicker loves Jesse Chavez. Jesse Chavez always get whenever whenever Jesse Chavez is with the Braves, he tends to get a lot of run, and that hasn't changed this year. Now you can say that because some of the other arms of the Braves bullpen haven't been at their most reliable so far uh, lately. That that you can see getting more out of Chavez, but this is one of those reasons why I think a right-handed reliever, even with Kirby Yates coming in. After the All-Star break, even with Kirby Yates coming back, that I think it's probably a good idea to add another high-leverage righty. Um, I keep saying Michael Fulmer. Michael Fulmer's a guy that I think would be a good idea. And by the way, since Jesse Chavez came over to the Braves on April 23rd, 29 and two-thirds innings, 33 hits, eight earned runs, nine walks, 39 strikeouts. So he's done very well in his time over here, but he's probably getting up to that point now where you got to start being a little bit more careful. 
Darren O'Day, he pitched really well. He went a clean inning with a strikeout. That lowers the season line to a 4-12 ERA. Not a guy you ever want facing against lefties at all. Uh, but he got it to A.J. Minter, who converted for the save. And A.J., despite the, the little bit of bad luck his last outing or two, uh, he's been the best reliever for the Braves this year. And a little bit more of that. And until, until Kinley Jansen comes back, I think you'll see, or at least you should see, A.J. Minter, the guy getting the ball in the ninth inning or in the highest leverage. Now, I don't care if that means seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning. But for Brian Snicker, his, his modus operandi is to, to save his best arm until the, the save is in, uh, is in sight. Now, I don't always agree with that. I think that that's not the smartest of moves. I think you should take into account a lot more who you're facing in that aspect. Whereas, if, like, let's say you're facing the Cardinals, and in the seventh inning, you've got Tommy Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, and Nolan Arenado. I think I'd much rather have my highest leverage arm against them than in the ninth inning where you'd be facing, you know, seven, eight, nine, or, or eight, nine, one, or what have you. I'd rather have the best arm going against the three toughest hitters for the Cardinals. Now, for yesterday, it was a little bit of a different game as the Braves got out hit by the Cardinals. The Cardinals kind of do this thing where they, they hit a lot of dinkers to right. Goldschmidt is just on another level right now. Arenado is as well. Those two, you, you can't really... You can't really be upset about giving up hits to them. And if you look at the seven hits that they got yesterday, Goldschmidt had two, Arenado one. Uh, and that's that's kind of part and parcel what they've been all season. So far for the season, Goldie's at 343, 427, the 620 slugging. He's probably your front runner for MVP right now. Arenado, 295, 356 with a 534 slugging. Certainly having quite a big run this season for him as well. I believe he has 20 home runs or 17 on the season for him. Paul Goldschmidt has 19 so the those two guys in the Cardinals lineup perfectly good Albert Pujols got two hits yesterday including a double which is probably the slowest double you'll ever see but overall a lot of singles not much going on uh and then Miles Michaelis gave up three runs off of the strength of two home runs and that's something that we talk about with the Braves a lot the Braves is a team yes they strike out a lot they're one of the highest strikeout teams in baseball but what are they also one of, if not the best, home run hitting teams in baseball? They hit the ball harder than everybody else. They barrel up the ball hard, more than anybody else. As a matter of fact, these numbers are just absolutely insane, and you don't have to be a stat head to really appreciate these. Uh, in the month of June, the Braves, as an offense, had a 15% uh, barrel percentage. That is the highest. They had 100 barrels in June. That is the most ever in a month since the StatCast era. What do, why is that important? Well, when you hit the ball on the barrel, you're generally going to hit the ball harder. You're hitting the ball better. More good things happen. That's generally what tends to happen. Um, on the flip side of that, pitching, another reason why the Braves have done so well is their starting pitching is really rounded into form. Um, start For pitching for the Braves in the month of June, 15% swinging strike percentage. Again, only time in the history of the StatCast era that a team has done that. What that means is the Braves are playing the best baseball in all of Major League Baseball, and they have been since May 23rd, which coincidentally seems to coincide with when Michael Harris came up. The Braves have been a phenomenal team once they got Harris in center field. Now, he's finally dropped under 300 on his batting average. Um, he's 293, 329 with a 489 slugging, so maybe some, some pitchers are starting to figure him out just a touch. Maybe he's going to have to make another adjustment here pretty quickly. I think he will. I don't, I don't think that he's going to fall prey to the same types of issues that, that traditional rookies get. I think he's just he's just too poised. He's, he's too good of a baseball player to fall into that aspect. 
Um, but what you did see is it doesn't really have to be any one hitter. Marcelo Zuna's been lifting the ball more lately, so this resulted in more home runs as he got himself one yesterday. He and Eddie Rosario went back to back. And Eddie Rosario, to me, is a really, really important piece for this team. I don't necessarily I don't think he's going to be in LCS Eddie Rosario because that was basically Eddie Rosario masquerading as Barry Bonds. That's not going to happen. It's not going to stay doing that. That was an outlier. But even traditional Eddie Rosario is a guy that can absolutely mash righties. He's not a good defender. Uh, but he doesn't really have to be. He's a better defender than Marcelo Zuna, which is what all I care about. Uh, he he doesn't strike out a lot. He's a guy that puts the bat on the ball. As a matter of fact, he hasn't had a 20% strikeout percentage for a season since 2016. Uh, he's going to hit you a lot of doubles. He's going to he's gonna generally do pretty well. He's going to float around right around 110 to 115-ish on his WRC+. He's a guy that, you know, you don't want to overexpose him in the field, but splitting him with Adam Duvall, who still hits lefties really well and who has really come into his own uh, since Michael Harris came up, you're talking about the ability for the Braves to, one, keep Duvall off his feet, have him come off the bench as a very potent bench bat, which should allow him, because a lot of his swing, a lot of his power derives so much from his legs, more than, than a lot of other guys, that keeping him fresh is a very big deal. But it also means you can sub in Duvall for defense in the end of a, at the back end of a game while having a better hitter in Rosario in for most of the game. Eddie's a guy that you can kind of put around at pretty much any point in the lineup. And in the lineup where you've got a lot of swing and miss and a lot of power, a guy like Eddie, who doesn't strike out a lot, who makes a lot of contact, can do some very good things for you. And I, to be frank, Eddie Rosario is just a guy that I like watching play the game. He has a lot of fun. He fits in really well with the team. He's not overly expensive. And he's a guy that you can do a lot of things with. And for the team, it's just another gel piece. It's another thing you can do that it... it the way that you get helped on by that is not just by having Eddie back in the lineup. It's also by not having to play Marcel in left field at all. Now you have two left fielders in Duvall and Rosario, and Marcelo Zuna should essentially never have to play in the field again because even if it doesn't go down as him making an error, as a bad play by him, just the fact that he's not getting the balls because his outfield, his, his jump is not good, he's not a good defender at all, means you give guys extra opportunities. We saw that rear its head in the Cincinnati game where Joey Votto hit a foul ball that should have been caught by the left fielder. I know Austin Riley was the closest to it, but that was a long run for Austin, and that was a pretty, that was a pretty standard foul ball for a left fielder, if we're being honest. That one should have been caught. There was also the error by Matt Olson, which has kind of been a theme for him this season. And I think, I think this season might... Matt just might wear a season. This might just be a bad season for Matt Olson, at least as far as Matt Olson traditional statistics are concerned. He's not really lifting the ball. He's hitting tons of doubles, but he's not really lifting the ball. 12 homers for him at this point seems very low. Um, I do think he'll start lifting the ball a little bit more, but the strikeout rate for him has been doing good. He's still walking. He's hitting 252, 345, 467, which isn't bad. But his defensive numbers have cratered this year, and that's not something that I was expecting to see. I think that's another point. If you're talking about how much pressure is on him, I think defense is a good spot where you can look at and kind of see how a guy's feeling. I think when a guy's really pressing, it shows up more defensively than it does offensively. We've seen that with Dansby in the past. I think that's what you're seeing with Matt Olson. I think the longer he's here, the, the more he'll be able to kind of settle in a little bit. Once he starts seeing some of those balls go out and starts playing patty cake with the chop house a little bit, more more regularly, I think you'll see him start to relax, and I think you'll see the defense come back. Uh, and I think just working with the infielders a little bit, because one of the things about Freddie 
that made this defense look so much better was the scooping ability. And it helped Dansby and Austin especially because those two those two tend to bury a throw early in the game when they're kind of dialing in the range. And Freddie, if, if that ball was anywhere near his glove off the bounce on the ground, he was going to make that play. And I think, I think that's one of those things that can kind of go uh, unnoticed a little bit. Now, obviously for the main goals, if you score enough runs, you, you hit enough home runs, then, then, you know, missing a scoop here or there, going downgrading a little bit on defense isn't going to hurt. And the Braves right now have been such a high-powered offense that it's actually covering up some, some things that haven't been going well. Ronald Acuna is in about the worst slump you'll ever see him in. He's been worth like a 68 WRC plus over the past, I don't know, 18 games or something like that. He's really been struggling. Now, he'll come out of it. He's Ronald Acuna. He'll, he'll come out of it, and when he does... I would uh, hazard a guess that he'll come out of it with uh, with some some aplomb, with some uh, reckless abandon. He'll kind of he'll kind of get it scoring back up. Um, he has pushed his his season line down to two seventy nine, three seventy five, four thirty seven. Still, really good season for him. Still been worth almost one and a half at four. Um, defensively, he's actually been rated pretty negatively, which I kind of think is dumb. When you watch him play, you know he's a good defender, but the power hasn't been there for him this year. His strikeout rate is pretty much right in line with what it was last year. Walk rate is actually the lowest that it's been for him since he was a rookie in 2018, but the home runs are what you're really waiting to see. He does have 17 stolen bases, which is good. He's really looking like he's trying to get to 30 by the time the season ends, and I think he'll, he's another one of those that at some point he's going to hit one of those heaters where he starts hitting multiple home runs a week. I think he'll be perfectly fine, and he'll, he'll round back into form, but the reason why it hasn't bothered you so much is the rest of the lineup is really picking up the slack. And it's one of those things we talk about with the Braves. One, that they're just kind of built differently from other teams. And two, that you don't really have anywhere to go for outs consistently. Everybody on this lineup can hurt you, especially now that Eddie is back and you can have Duvall on the bench as well. Now all of a sudden you start going really deep. So that when Ronald is struggling or when Michael Harris struggles or when Matt Olson struggles, Austin Riley can pick up the slack. Dansby Swanson continues right now being one of the absolute top players in all of Major League Baseball. Which, I don't know if you guys remember when I made that post about getting a Swanson tattoo if he, got a, if he won an MVP. But right now, you're, you're looking in Dansby Swanson's seventh highest rated player in Major League Baseball. And he's actually tied with Jordan Alvarez. Uh, yeah, tied with Jordan Alvarez. So, Dansby and Jordan, I'll say, are sixth. In front of them, Rafael Devers, Nolan Arenado, Aaron Judge, Manny Machado, and Paul Goldschmidt. Those are some uh, those are some pretty good names for Freddie Freeman. It's it, or, uh, Freddie Freeman. Freddie's at 14th. If you wonder about Freddie, Dansby at seventh is a big deal. So Dansby's the only one in the top 20 for the Braves right now, uh, at least in terms of batters. Uh, you don't see really anybody else on the Braves for a little bit, uh, but. For Dansby, he's just been very consistent all year long, which has traditionally been an issue for him. Riley's been a little up and down this year, but he's on one of his heaters right now too. As he's got his lineup to 273 with a 340 OBP and 543 slugging, and he's in one of those power binges where he's now sitting at 21 homers. I do, th- I still think you see Austin get to 40 plus this season. I think you'll see Austin go and continue these power binges. He's putting good swings on the ball, and yesterday you got a you got an instance of just how strong he is. He didn't miss hit a baseball, but he didn't square one up. And he just just muscled one out to right field. Is he's just such a big, strong guy that you kind of you you can kind of get lost in the shuffle a little bit with him. That he does have the strength to just muscle one out. 
Uh, you also saw, I mentioned you got Ozuna and Rosario home runs yesterday. Travis Darno was in the starting lineup yesterday. He went one for two uh, with a walk as well as his season lines, 266, 313 with a 486. He's been outstanding. And Travis Darno was part of a, a kind of a weird, a, a, a weird beef, I guess, with Miles Michaelis yesterday. Michaelis is one of these guys that he actually went over to Japan, I believe it was, uh, for a few years because he wasn't doing very good in the big leagues. He, I, I believe it was Japan. I think he went to, um, uh, I think he went to, uh, who was it? I can't remember which team it was, but uh, he, he went over and played uh, in uh, Yomiuri. He went and played for the Yomiuri Giants uh, for four seasons, actually. Before he came back stateside, actually, he went from 2015 to 2016. He was back with uh, with the Cardinals in 2018. So 2015, 16, 17, he pitched for Yomiuri, then came back to St. Louis in 2018. And anytime you see a guy go to Japan, you you see them start doing things where they'll they're, they'll do weirder things on the mound. Sometimes it'll be that their motion is different. Um, but really it all kind of gears around them messing with timing. That's one of the big things in the Japanese league and, and even in the KBO and, and why we see so many of their pitchers have such weird windups, such weird arm motions, so many hitches and stops. It's, it's about messing with timing. And one of the things you see get popular around here now, Marcus Stroman is another example of somebody who does this, uh, Johnny Cueto, another one, of guys messing with pitch timing, quick pitching guys, taking longer, um, abbreviated windups, things just to kind of keep hitters off balance. And to be perfectly honest, I can't really stand that. To me, it feels cheap. It's not cheating technically; it's allowed, but it's pretty cheap. It kind of generally what it what it shows to me is you don't trust that your stuff is good enough, so that you have to try doing something else to fool these hitters and get them off balance. Generally, to me, it, it almost signifies that you just don't you just don't think that your stuff is good enough to actually get these hitters out if you're on a level playing field. And that's kind of what happened yesterday. Uh, Michaelis is a guy that can take quite a while to get ready. He likes to, to set hitters off and make them stand in there a while and feel just a touch uncomfortable and get them out ahead of themselves. Well, he also likes to try to quick pitch. And he tried to quick pitch Darno once when Darno came in. And um, he, tried to, he tried to actually throw a pitch within five seconds of Travis Darno getting into the box. Travis wasn't set or ready, called time. The umpire granted it to him. And then Miles Michaelis got mad at the umpire and Ollie Marmol. The Cubs or the Cardinals manager, he got mad and said some dirty words at the umpire. And to me, that's just that's just weak, honestly. Travis probably looked around like I don't know what you're talking about, but hey, don't be uh, don't be a d bag and wait until I get in the box before you pitch. You know, common courtesy. The way that 99% of the rest of Major League Baseball does it. It is kind of funny to me that it's the Cardinals of all people that try to get mad at not being able to quick pitch guys. The team that plays the game the right way and, you know, the best fans in baseball. They're the ones that are constantly doing stuff like this. And I can see why. I like Michaelis well enough. He's actually a much better pitcher than his record indicates this year because pitcher record is basically worthless. Um, but that, that's a whiny thing to do. Last time you had somebody whining about how long it took the Braves to get in the box or fouling stuff off was Trevor Bauer, and you don't want to be compared to Trevor Bauer for any reason. Uh, so for Michaelis, don't be a little B. We made the little wristbands for Fulty. We'll make one for you too. Um, don't try to be a jerk. Don't try to quick pitch people because you don't think your stuff is good enough, and maybe you won't have that issue, and then you won't give up two bombs to Ozuna and Rosario and end up losing a game that you pitched very well in. It's good, it's good for the Braves, bad for them. Don't really care. Michaelis can get over it. Ali Marmol. As long as they don't go and try to drill Acuna today or drill somebody as a response to it. Because that's the type of thing 
that they do. That's the type of thing that the Cardinals do. They're kind of a Bush League fan base, my least favorite team. And I kind of I kind of look at them as uh they're they're the dividing line for baseball's fan base. Um for the boomer fans, the older generation that I love baseball from back when it was the 90s, 80s, 70s, that's the style I like. I want bunts and blah blah blah. They're fans of the Cardinals. They love the Cardinals and the way they approach the game. If you're a newer style, or, or, or I should say you like baseball to be fun, you're fine with some bat flips, you're fine with pitchers getting excited and players showing emotion, and, you know, actually trying to hit the ball instead of bunt and play small ball. If you like seeing, you know, the best, the best baseball players in the world show that they're the best baseball players in the world, then you're not going to like the Cardinals because they're, they're one of these anti-fun teams. They like to throw at people all the time and then complain when people throw at them. They, they're very much one of these teams... That uh, they, they remind me of um, the Bluth mother, the matriarch of the Bluth family from Arrested Development. That's kind of what the Cardinals feel like to me. I personally love watching the Cardinals do badly. I love watching them lose. I think they're one of the most overrated teams uh, of the last decade or so. And that if they weren't in the NL Central, you, you wouldn't consider them one of baseball's blue bloods. I, I think that the fact that they play in the Central, which has been probably baseball's worst division for quite a while... Both centrals, as a matter of fact, the AL Central and the NL Central have been the worst of the of the leagues or the worst divisions in either league uh, for quite a long time now. I think that that's that's contributed greatly to their status, quote unquote, as as being one of the one of the better teams that just plays the right way. So uh, hopefully they can get a, a sweep tonight. I would love to sweep the Cardinals in a four game set. And you got the right guy on the bump to do it. It's going to be Spencer Strider taking on Matthew Liebertor. Two guys who are very, very young, very, very talented, having two totally opposite seasons. Now, Libertor hasn't been up very long. Uh, I believe he's got about 20 big league innings so far. Uh, he's, a, he's a very talented arm. He was a, a very highly regarded prospect. One of the ones that the Rays traded the uh, traded in the Randy Rosarena deal. Um, looks like they won that deal. Libertor is 2-1, 566 ERA, 179 whip, 20 and two-thirds innings, 18 strikeouts, 11 walks. Now, so he is a guy that will walk you. Be very patient with him. You can run his pitch counts up. Also, being a lefty, you'll see Duvall in the lineup tonight, but it also could spell good things for the rest of the Braves lineup as they typically mash left-handers, as opposed to Spencer, who's 4-2 with a 287, 101 whip, 59 and two-thirds innings, 90 strikeouts to 23 walks. Two guys, very, very talented. Libertor was the more, was the higher-end prospect, or at least early on, when they were when they were both drafted, he was, Libertor was a top 100 guy, a guy that had a, a at least was known for having a, a good breaking ball. I haven't seen it much at the big league level, but Strider has come out there and just dusted hitter after hitter after hitter, and that's kind of the difference between the two. When you're a Spencer Strider, you know you have a 101 to fall back on in the tank. One thing for me is I will be looking closely. I'm going to start monitoring him a lot closer to see where the velo's sitting, to see if maybe you see some fatigue start to set in with the arm a little bit, see if he starts hitting any bit of that, that kind of innings limit and rookie wall a little bit, see what the Braves do. But until he shows me that he's hitting it, I'm not going to worry about it. For the Braves, get Libertor to throw you pitches. The Cardinals have had to go to their bullpen quite a bit this series. Their bullpen, they have some good guys, but they're not particularly scary in any... I don't I don't look at the Cardinals and think outside of Goldschmidt and Arenado uh, and Tyler O'Neill when he goes on a hot stretch. But really... Aside from Goldie and Arenado, there's not a player on the Cardinals that really terrifies me. So that holds for their starting pitching. That holds for their bullpen as well. Uh, for the Braves, though, you do have some reinforcements back. As Tyler Matzik is back, but I'm hoping I see him today because his first outing back 
that velo was still significantly down. He threw more 92 than he threw 94. He was generally sitting 93, and I think he only got one 95-er. And even that's not the biggest problem. Command was, was all over the place. He had no idea where the ball was going. But to me, the scariest part of seeing Tyler Matzik back, and one of the things that I can't understand why he was activated if he'd been throwing like this the whole time, I can't imagine he was, his arm speed was so much slower than it was last year in the postseason or our pre-injured list. It looked like he was trying to throw the ball 92 and not 99. It genuinely, it genuinely looked like he was slowing down his arm speed. And I don't know if that means the shoulder's still not all the way better or what the issue was, but it was noticeably different, and it wasn't fooling hitters. And it's Matzik might be able to be successful 93 to 95. I don't really know. But he won't be as dominant because when he's throwing 99, 98, 99 up and in, and then brings that hammer of a curveball in there at 84, 85 ish, that's different than a guy. It's harder to it's harder to pitch up in the zone, obviously, when you throw softer. When you're throwing 92, 93, 94, it's the same reason Will Smith tends to struggle pitching up in the zone. Unless you have elite fastball spin rates like Nestor Cortez, generally, if you're throwing low to mid-90s, you're not wanting to live up in the zone because you're giving hitters a chance to get their barrel to it, and they're going to hit that ball out. So I want to see Matzik again soon to see if maybe that was more rust than anything else. Maybe he was just taking it kind of slow, getting back into the feel of it. Maybe he just didn't have it that night. It's possible he just didn't have it. Spencer doesn't always have 100 in the tank. Max doesn't always have 98. Some nights Max is more 93, 94. So it, it could just be that that was an off night for Tyler, but I'm going to need to see him back to normal before I'm really concerned about, or before I, I feel good about it. I need to see that happen. Hopefully we get a really good outing from Strider today and you're able to get Matzik into a game that's already decided as the Braves can get a sweep uh, of the hapless Cardinals before heading to Washington for a three-game set uh, that starts uh, tomorrow. Actually, no rest for the Wearies. The Braves aren't going to get another off day until until the all-star break actually the braves are going all the way through now until the all-star break so we'll we'll see how it comes together for the braves you get six seven against the nationals in that stretch three against the mets to break that up so a chance here for the braves to grab the division lead before the all-star break and uh, speaking of break i think i'm gonna go ahead and break this episode off and call that a day I will be back on saturday morning at 6 8 of the fan make sure you're tuning in i'll also be doing quite a bit of uh, of, of pregame stuff next week for the station. So if you guys like to tune into pregames, I'll be doing with, I would assume, Kevin McAlpin, maybe even Wiley at some point in time next week. We'll see. But for the next uh, for the next week or two, even up into the All-Star break, you'll hear me quite a bit on 68 The Fans. So thanks to Matt Edgar for that. And thanks to you guys for listening to the show day in and day out. I really appreciate all of you guys. Um, enjoy doing the show with all of you, and especially enjoy it as the Braves are performing as well as they are. So that's going to do it for me here uh, for the 643 Show. I'll be back again with another podcast on Tuesday here for the 643. Thanks a lot, guys, and go Braves! And that's all, folks. 
Is there chaos in your closet? Look, Blouse, you've got some nerve hanging there like that. I can't help it. I'm jammed in here next to this suit. Hey, I'm a three-piece, all right, which means I need a little more room. You've got a lot of attitude for a linen suit. I'm a polyester blend, sweetheart, and there needs to be room for men's clothes, too. Hi, I'm Christina, and in Artisan Custom Closets, we help families organize and simplify their closets with customized storage solutions. See what's possible for your home at artisancustomclosets.com and then call us for a free in-home consultation. 